Word Radio On Demand, 96.1 FM and 900 AM WURD. Streaming live at wordradio.com. You're listening to The Source with Andrea Lawful Sanders on Word Radio. Streaming live on wordradio.com and the Word Radio app. The Reverend Brian C. Dunlop. I had him on last week and asked him to come back on. Uh, is a full-time chaplain at the Pennsylvania Hospital, which is a part of the University of Pennsylvania system. He has been in this role since 2020. He brings a diverse portfolio of ministerial experience to this leadership role. He currently serves as an ordained minister at Enon Tabernacle Baptist Church in Philadelphia under the leadership of the Reverend Dr. Alan E. Waller. He is talking to us again about palliative care. He's going to continue our conversation because when we had it last week, people were so intrigued, right? Uh, specifically in the black and brown communities, we hear palliative care, like, we don't want that. That means you're trying to kill us off. <laughs> and so mm. once again, Brian, explain to them what palliative care is. And I shared with him uh, transparently that a friend of mine has been uh, diagnosed with terminal brain cancer and they put her in a rehabilitation center. And she's just been laying there for months getting no sorts of treatment. They're just drugging her up. And so she reached out to Kia and I, and we're working now to get her some help. But Brian was saying palliative care would have happened way, way upstream. And we believe it was not offered to her. Right. Um, so let's talk a little bit about this, uh, Brian, so that people can understand. Right. So, so first and foremost, palliative care is a holistic approach to treatment of the person who's experiencing an illness and not just treatment of the illness. Mm-hmm. And, and the difference in the approach is because medication has become so hyper-specialized, you have a specialist from over every aspect of your care, and gone is the days primarily where people went to one primary doctor for all of their care, except when they needed hospitalization, those days are pretty much over. You have a specialist for every aspect of your care. But what palliative care does is look at the person and what they value, what is most important to them living their life, and ideally is introduced at the diagnosis of a life-altering or life-changing illness, right? It's a serious illness. You don't, you don't get palliative care because you've got a, a cut, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But if you've got a systemic infection, based on that cut that now has affected your kidneys or affected your ability to live your life, then palliative care is appropriate, right? And far too often, because for many in our community who are not aware of all the benefits that come with palliative care, the word itself frightens them. It's it's associated with hospice because hospice is a small segment of palliative care, but it is not the the last six months of life. It's trying to live your life as full as possible for as long as possible with a comprehensive approach to your treatment. Mm -hmm. And so give them some examples of what could happen in palliative care. Okay. So, and and let's just say, um, uh, I'm, I'm terrible with picking a, a name, but let's just say Charlie. Charlie gets diagnosed with a um, a, a serious cancer, mm-hmm. right? Um, it doesn't have to be metastatic. It's on the mm-hmm. front end, right? Mm-hmm. Something that 
the medical team may feel with the surgical approach can be handled. But if if Charlie is also when he's told that he has, let's say, kidney cancer, that he can not only have that cancer treated, but the symptoms that come along with it can be treated, that he can receive physical therapy, that he can have, um, excuse me, um, more comprehensive assessment, that he can have massage therapy, maybe for some pain that he's feeling, that he can have an expert in managing his pain, Mm -hmm. deal with his pain. See, palliative care providers and clinicians, they not only um, study your disease, but they have an expert level understanding of pain. Mm -hmm. And when it comes to to pain, chronic pain, that's almost 50% of older adults are suffering from chronic pain. pain, But if you don't have a provider who's um, well acquainted with all the different pain treatments, I'm not just talking about drugs, but other alternative therapies, like, you know, then then you're basically cheating yourself of the opportunity to receive better care. And then when the system says, well, you know what, we, we can't talk about goals of care with black folk because they're too histrionic or they're too emotional or they stop talking about religion. Right. Um, so, so they're frightened by the fact that we talk about religion, about our God, about so, it's, it's, so for far too long, right? Medicine has become so focused on only one pathway to healing that it's blind to others and your ability to cope with the, the consequences of your illness may come from a source of faith, from a place of faith. So a lot of providers who are not comfortable discussing topics of faith or belief or not not comfortable with Black folks embody faith mm-hmm. or the community of faith that comes with us to the examination room. And what I mean by that is, you know, we're, we're accustomed to making decisions in community. When when one of our elders gets sick, right, we we want to be there with them. We want to be a second pair of ears. We want to be make sure that they're being treated well. Mm-hmm. Well, part of that treatment is having the difficult conversation, sometimes very uncomfortable, about what does life look like with this illness full stop? Mm-hmm. And then what do you value in your life? What's most important to you? Mm-hmm. So if someone is uncomfortable having conversations with us around things that, that are very emotionally attacked, then they're going to pull back. They may introduce the concept and say, well, you know, we have a, a supportive care team and, and, you know, you can speak to some of our social workers and, and um, we can consult the palliative care provider. What's that? Well, palliative care is, you know, pain management. Palliative care is hospice. Oh, hospice. I don't want to deal with that. I'm not dying. I'm not giving up. And we we associate all the negatives and we look past all the benefits. Right. And that's that's something where we need to just to recognize that. For the longest, our systems, our healthcare systems 
have been almost impregnable to so many members of our community. We've, we've had this relationship with healthcare where we don't go to the doctor, we don't get our checkups, we don't maintain our health and well-being across our lifespan. And then when we get sick, we take every medical treatment offered. And even those that aren't offered, we're constantly Googling to try to find more treatments because we feel that, you know, we have this, this, this back of the head distrust of the system. We're not relational with our providers. We don't have an established rapport and healthy, trusting relationship with them. So then it's like, well, what do you mean, palliative treatment? Aren't you going to do everything for me? Well, yeah, we can do everything plus more. We can talk to you about how it's affecting your relationship. Mm-hmm. We can we can provide you with extra therapies. Mm-hmm. I mean, shucks, you even got some palliative programs have shiatsu massage, right? Oh. And you may think, well, what do I care about that if I'm sick? Right. Well, if your muscles start cramping mm-hmm. or you've got neuropathic pain in your feet because you've got poor circulation, you really would love some free shiatsu massage that's covered by your health insurance, mm-hmm. right? Um, so it's it's really kind of a, a short-sightedness in the healthcare system and not adequately training, quite frankly, mm-hmm. all providers in palliative care concepts. And then it's short-sightedness from our community and not making sure we're aware of all the benefits that um, the system is obligated to offer. Okay, so my head is spinning with questions for you because we know the history here, right? We Mm -hmm. know that when we show up to the doctor, and this is not conjecture, I have fired more doctors than the law should allow, right? For my personal health, I was like, oh, no, you're not letting, no, mm mm-mm. I got one one liver, two kidneys, one heart. You are not screwing with my health care, right? And they, they seem so blasé and, you know, well, I'm just, you know, I'm the doctor kind of thing. So the onus is on the doctors and it's on us, right? So it's on us to find the right medical professional that will help us, which is why I spend so much time, Brian, on this show going, these are the doctors that I trust. These are the doctors that I go to. Uh, me, Andrea, um, because, you know, I've understood what people are dealing with and what they're going through. And I'm telling you, like Dr. Archima is seeing people that are so sick because they had gone to doctors and say, this is happening with me. And they were dismissed. I feel this. This is all in your mind. We've done this blood work. It's not. So, you know, people are trying. And then when they are rebuffed, then they don't go until it gets to a critical mass and they have to go to the hospital. And then, of course, now it's all the medications that they're being prescribed, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So there are there are a couple of things that sits in the forefront of my mind. One, we need to holistically take care of ourselves better. What does that look like? Right. Have the conversations about our health and well-being, the kinds of food we're putting in our bodies, the kind of stresses that we're allowing in our system because stress kills. Right. We've talked about this. Um, finding a good list of doctors that are willing to say, let me come to the table and sit and listen to you and understand as a people who you are versus saying. And I see them. I see them curl up in themselves. Right. Oh, my God. She's 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 about to attack me. But everybody else can are allowed to get uh, emotional. But we're not. We always have to hold in how we're thinking and feeling so that we're not perceived differently. Am I making sense, Brian? So then it becomes more stress on top of the stress on top of the stress. Help a sister out, please. Yeah. So so that um, code switching dynamic where we enter into hospital doors 
it is very real. I mean, I've spoken with, with, with our folks, some of them that have had lifelong illnesses, right? When we talk about sickle cell disease and, and the, the kind of mental combat that these patients have to endure every day just to receive the medication that they need to live because pain does kill, right? Yes. Pain is, is not only something that's felt in the moment, it changes your biological process, it rewires your brain. I mean, pain will, will put um, stress on the body like nothing else. Absolutely. But now, because of the opioid crisis, where, where, quite frankly, that's not been historically our issue, statistically, the, the, um, the um, incidence of black folks having opioid use disorder and trying to, to get medications for, um, you know, illicit purposes, that's not that, yes, it has affected our community, but its roots aren't in our community. But yet, when it comes to us having our pain dealt with, our sickle cell patients go through unimaginable mental burden just being able to live. And I have spoken to some of them who recognize that if they don't come in well-dressed, right, put clean-shaven, yes, that will make a difference in their care. Mm -hmm. Because they're coming into the emergency room in crisis, right? And then their pain is not adequately dealt with because they're, 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 not seen, they're viewed through the pejorative lens of, you know, the term sickle, right? They're a problem for us. They're a headache for us. Not they're a person trying to endure a debilitating disease, right? right? right. But because sickle cell is a black, predominantly black person disease, it has historically not gotten the attention it needs. And a lot of palliative care Providers and systems themselves do not deal with sickle cell patients because they don't feel that they have the, the the support of the healthcare systems they work in. They don't think they're prepared enough to deal with that pain. So, so that's a, a crisis of a small segment of our community. But some of the same barriers exist for someone who's coming in the hospital with the the symptoms of a heart attack. Yeah, their pain is not taken as seriously. A black woman in labor, her pain is not taken as seriously. There are still some providers who think that black folks' skin is thicker, that our nerve cells are not as responsive. And so- In this here 2024 year of our Lord. And I am not making it up. I got- Oh, I know you're not making it up. There's a study in 2016, I think it was out of the University of Virginia. Don't hold me to that but out of a major um, medical center where they surveyed residents, people who who have been doctors serving patients for two, three years, and they still had a significant percentage of them who believe that the way we feel pain is different from how other folks feel pain, right? And these are biases that come out of racist practices from you know, antebellum from pre- while slavery was still in the country. You know, there, there was an understanding that the healthcare system still in some algorithms acts on 
right? And I know we were talking about power of fear now. I've gotten way off the map. That's all right, because it all comes back to this, which is why we're not being given the treatments. So they will they will look at, okay, talking about treatment difference. An asthmatic black patient comes in and, you know, you have to blow on or inhale on the 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 meter. The spirometer, yes. The spirometer. Thank you. Well, built into some of the algorithms where some of the healthcare providers don't even know it themselves. If they put in that the patient identifies as African-American, their spirometer levels are automatically decreased. So if I'm blowing an 80, I don't need medication because I'm black. Whereas if a white person blows an 80, they're immediately given a rescue inhaler. So these chronic conditions become critical conditions Frankly. because they haven't been treated when the adequately when the need exists to do so. And then we talk about social determinants of health. You have more food deserts, so it's hard for us to maintain a healthy diet in our communities. You have more industrial plants polluting the air and more trucks in and out of those plants in our communities. So there's more incidence of asthma that goes undertreated. There's more stress in our communities based on all of these environmental pollutions and housing, inferior housing, that all affects our long-term health, then we turn to the healthcare system that we haven't navigated, um, quite frankly, responsibly from our side, getting our annual checkups, making sure our blood pressure is under control, all of those things. Then we get there, and now all of the the racial stress that we've endured, the environmental factors, all that comes into play. And then the healthcare system says, well, not compliant. Um, well, <laughs> I'm not sure if I can give you opioids because, mm-hmm. um, and, and all these judgments that take place behind, you know, someone's placid face, mm-hmm. and then they're not relational to, to, to probe and ask questions and investigate how we are trying to live our best lives. So it's a cultural communication gap in which we have to take responsibility for our role in that gap, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. To try to do better. Mm-hmm. But quite frankly, that the healthcare system that knows better must be required to do better. Right? Agreed. Agreed. So two things sit in my head. One, mm-hmm. we need to have a series of conversations in our churches, mosques, etc., about how to navigate the system in a way that'll get us what we need, how to have the kind of advocates that will help us make sure that we're okay as we're navigating, right? Mm-hmm. And two, um, you know, give them, give them uh, a little cheat sheet around, you know, all right, this is when you ask for palliative care. This is when you, you understand what I'm saying, Brian? Mm-hmm. Uh, this is when you ask for certain things. This is how you go. This is where you, and so they can walk around that, that little green book. They can walk around with that sheet to say, okay, you know, cause not everybody's able to navigate like a me, right? I'm a, I'm a, I'm a pit bull in a sweet dress and a sweet voice asking for what I need, right? But behind all of that is the stress. And I'm telling you, I understand the stressors cause I'm still recovering. From all the stress. It's a lot. It takes a lot out of your body. So imagine the average person who is not able to navigate in such a way and then they walk away. I feel like I need to have you come back. I swear. I feel 
I feel like, I mean, you, you've got to come back. Reach out to Niall because then what, what we're going to talk about next is when do we ask for these things, right? What does that look like? How do we ask for those things? Can you come back, please? I will always come back, Andrew. I love these conversations. But let me just say this so your listeners have one takeaway. When do you ask for palliative care? The minute any healthcare professional introduces a new problem, meaning, um, well, Mr. Dunlop, it seems like your, your blood pressure is affecting your kidney function, right? We don't recognize how high blood pressure damages yes. our kidneys. Mm -hmm. So we're going to have to start looking at true. Well, can I get a referral to palliative care yes. so I can get some additional support? Yes. Right? Yes. Because they're, they're not thinking of introducing this service to us. Right. And it may not be appropriate at all times, mm -hmm. but nothing beats a failure but a try. Try. Absolutely. So you ask for palliative care. And then when you meet with the palliative care team, you let them tell you what they can bring do, to the table. Yes. I'm, I'm running. I'm running late, Brian. Tell okay. Niall. Tell Niall I need you to come back. Because <laughs> that was one example of a thousand that people need to hear. Thank you so Absolutely. much, my brother. I appreciate it. Okay. All right. Take it easy. You have a blessed one. Now. You too. All right. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Word Radio On Demand. Listen live at 96.1 FM, 900 AM, and online at wordradio.com.